This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Good to be in this house today. Good to be with all of you. All of you crazy people that get on the roads and come out here when it's icy. And I'll I'll say this, you know, um, it seems like the, the people that come are usually the ones from the furthest away <laughs> on days like today. Isn't that funny? Um, we got people here today from Humiston and Peru. I mean, it's awesome. But uh, I will say this. We don't want anybody ever to, uh, to be unsafe when they come out. And, and with live stream now, I mean, even if it's so bad that only I can, and a couple of pastors can be here, we'll probably have service, and I'll just live stream um, even on those bad days. I mean, we could possibly cancel uh, a service, but uh, it's going to be, it's going to have to be really bad for us to cancel a service because we got the live stream and I, I can usually get here. Um, I don't have a dog sled, but uh, uh, I'm fr- I grew up in Minnesota, so I could walk to the church from where I'm at. Not a big deal. Um, love that you're here, though. Love that you're here. Great, great day to be in this house. Uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, we started a series entitled Disciplines of the Faith. And by disciplines, I mean those practices that are essential to excel in if we want our relationship with Christ to not only continue, but to flourish and grow even deeper. And there, there's one thing about, and, and, and life it's just kind of like this, you can't maintain very well. To maintain, you have to be obtaining. Would you agree with me? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound, I like to just put it in neutral and sit there. What I'm saying is, when you are obtaining, even just a little bit, you're really just maintaining. You can't just be in neutral when it comes to the things of God. You always gotta be growing. There's never a time in your life when you're gonna just stop growing because you've arrived. And if that's how you feel, you might wanna check because that would be um, wrong. That was a nice way of saying it. I want my relationship with Christ to continue, but I I want it to flourish and go deeper and deeper and deeper. Amen? Amen. I hope you do too. 1 Timothy 4, 7a through 8 says this. It's kind of our verse for the series. Train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value. And how many know bodily training is of some value? How many started some more bodily training after the first of the year? And it's brought you some value. That's great. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. My goal is that you would allow the Holy Spirit to pull you into a deeper relationship with him through this series. And this won't just happen, church. You've got to want it and you have to go after it. That's where training for godliness comes in and why it's so important to train for it, to practice these disciplines. We draw closer to the end of this age, the word of God tells us that many will fall away from the faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, many. Many will fall away from the faith. And church, you need a strong foundation if you're gonna remain in the faith because it's not gonna necessarily be easy. Those foundations are built and established as you practice the disciplines of the faith. 
I was up at the, uh, you know, I, I, uh, the district office this last week and we, uh, we, we interviewed some new missionaries and we had lunch with a, a great uh, man of God who, who, who does a lot of work with uh, uh, the Muslim people in Africa and works with the Christian church in Africa. And um, it's interesting, uh, you know, the, the whole uh, thing I said last week about that pastor who was, who was uh, put to death and his family was put to death right on Sunday morning in front of their congregation. Um, I talked to him about that and he had firsthand knowledge of it. And he said, yes, that's true. And he said, but don't think that that's the only thing that's happened. He said, every week there's pastors being crucified for their faith right now, crucified, nailed to a cross for their faith. This is going on in other parts of the world. And church, you gotta know, that's part of the end times. The persecution's gonna increase. And maybe it hasn't come to America yet, but get ready. You better have firm foundations because it will come to America. It will. I'm not saying that to scare you. But hopefully that motivates you to firmer foundations, to striving for that. This individual told me that, you know, we've even raised money and tried to move these pastors from place to place to try to get them out of harm's way, and they won't leave. I said, we're here, we're called here. These people need to hear the gospel, and we're willing to die so that they may hear. Church, we gotta pray for the, those that are being persecuted for their faith. And you can sit and hope that it won't come to you, but that's just a matter of time. Those foundations that we build, those deep, strong foundations are established and built as you practice the disciplines of the faith. So, so far we've covered living a life of prayer. We did that the first week. And living a life of prayer is not just carving out a time to pray in our schedule, as good as that is, it's more about an ongoing conversation with God, a prayer without ceasing kind of life. It's having that all day, every day, never ending conversation with the Lord. It's a prayer life, not just a prayer time. And then last week we covered living a life of the word. And it's important that you realize that without his word, there is no relationship with him. I've heard Christians say, well, I kind of know what the Bible says, so I don't really read it all that much. It, I hear it on Sunday mornings, and I'm a good retainer. I'm telling you folks, if you don't have the word of God being put into your life all the time, all the time, you're, 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 you're crippling your relationship with God. Without the word, there is no relationship with Christ. You must have. Well, I don't like reading. Well, do it anyway. Right? That was really snotty, wasn't it? I mean, don't you do things you don't want to do all the time? How many can't wait to go to work tomorrow morning? There might be a few of you. A few of you. How many would say, I'd just rather stay in bed tomorrow morning when it's three below or five below? Okay, a lot more of you. Great. But you get up and go anyway, don't you? Why? Because you want to eat and you want to pay the electric bill so the heat stays on. You want to pay the gas bill so the heat stays on, right? So you do it. Folks, without the word of God, there is no relationship with him. Jesus is the word in the flesh. They are one in the same. And just as everything that has been created was created through the word, we are continually created and transformed into his image through that same word. We have the Bible, which is more than just a book. It's the inspired divine word of God and it never returns void. It always accomplishes what it was set forth to do. 
And today we're gonna cover a third discipline of the faith. We got prayer, we got the word, and today we have living a life of praise and worship. And these three, prayer, the word, and praise and worship make up what I like to call the big three. Because these three disciplines, if practiced, will catapult you to new places in Christ for the rest of your life. When you train yourself in these three disciplines and actually live a life of prayer and live a life of the word and live a life of praise and worship, your relationship with Christ will never become dry and dull, but will be in a constant state of getting more exciting all the time. So there's nothing worse than dead, boring faith. Is it really faith at all? If it's dead and boring? I mean, I want my faith to be exciting. I don't know about you. Some of you are still frozen from the parking lot or something today. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me that my faith would be exciting. (laughs) And some of you look like you're wearing turtlenecks because your lower lip's hanging out so far. How many want an exciting faith? I mean, come on. You want an exciting faith? Life should be an adventure, right? Amen? Come on, somebody shout in this place. Life should be an adventure. Our Christian life should be fun. It should be exciting. We should wake up in the morning every day going, what are you gonna do next, God? This is awesome. We're not here to just endure until we die. We're here to live life and life to the fullest. It should be abundant and exciting and adventurous. I mean, you might as well do it now. It's gonna be that way in heaven, right? What are you just gonna wait until then? I wanna practice for heaven now. Have an exciting, wonderful, adventurous faith going on. That's what practicing these three disciplines will do for you. You can't practice them without that happening. You just can't. And you don't practice them out of some religious condemnation But if they're just flowing out of your heart, you will not be able to stay in the same place in Christ that you currently are in. There's no way to practice them and keep from growing in Christ. So let's talk specifically about praise and worship. Let's define what these two words mean. Praise is an action verb. It oftentimes has an attachment to music or singing, but is always a call to action whether it's shouting, singing, playing your instrument, clapping, dancing, it's action and requires movements. All right, everybody stand up. You're like, oh, great. Now what's he gonna do? I don't know, I just think the Bible is pretty literal and we should act upon it a little once in a while, shouldn't we? I mean, I want you to go like this and just say, praise the Lord. Keep doing it. I mean, keep doing it till it feels normal, all right? Right? Now, I want you to do one of these. (laughs) Okay, you don't have to. Nobody did, but... I mean, you should be able to jump, right? I was sitting there singing the song this morning, I am free to dance, I am free to run, and here we are. I am free to run with my feet planted so hard into the ground and behind my pew that I can't move, you know? 
Praising the Lord requires movement. And I don't think it should be a circus in service. But praising the Lord requires movement. You can sit down, but go like this as you sit down. (laughs) It requires movement. Noah Webster defines praise this way. And, you know, I know Noah isn't, his, his definitions aren't the Bible, but you know what's interesting about Noah Webster? He could quote whole portions of scripture to you. So when you look at his original definitions in the word of God, it's, or in, in, in his dictionary, it's very interesting because they kind of come from that place of a person who, they come from that perspective, from a person who could quote literally chapter and verse in the Bible. But he says this, to commend, to applaud, to express approbation of, of, a, of personal uh, worth or actions, to extol in words or song, to magnify, to glorify an account of perfections or excellent works, to express gratitude for personal favors, to do honor to, to display through action the excellence of something. Praise does not have to have music attached to it, church. But music is just so powerful that it often helps us get to that place where we have an attitude of praise no matter where you are, in church, at home, or even at work. Why do you think we start the service with a fast, upbeat kind of praise, call out to God kind of song? And thank you. Because you need to be woke up on Sunday morning once in a while. That's why we do it. I mean, really. Sure, the scripture says enter his, his, uh, his gates with thanksgiving and his courtrooms with praise, I, and, and we're doing that too. But, but really, if I'm gonna be just honest with you this morning, when people come walking in Sunday morning, you need something to pick them up. Otherwise, we can't get to that place of praise for a long time. So we clap our hands a little bit and we shout a little bit. You know what would be awesome? When I, when I was growing up, um, we used to drive 30 miles to church when we started going to a word church uh, from our, our uh, religious church that we were at. And uh, it was a 30 mile drive and all the kids were in the car and my dad would put on praise music in the car. And so we're sitting there listening to all this praise music and by the time we got to church in 30 minutes, everybody was ready in our car to praise the Lord. Uh, yeah, there was the occasional fighting, she touched me, you know, blah, blah, blah. That, that's true. But for the most part, we were ready to praise the moment we walked in the door. Church, can I, can I ask you to do something? Be ready before you ever get here to praise the Lord. You want to see God move in our church? That's, that's number one thing that you can do. Walk into this place prepared to praise the name of the Lord. From the first note... From the first note. Whether you have music going or not, that attitude of praise has has got to just flow from an overflow of your heart. It's got to come out of an overflow of your heart. It's got to. And it happens anytime, all the time, anywhere, not just on church Sunday mornings. On on Friday, I, uh, I slipped and fell really hard on the ice. I experienced what I, what I want to call, and without being um, derogatory to anybody in here, I, I call it my first experience with an old man fall. <laughs> I mean, no control, right? I'm standing there in the driveway, snow blowing, and all of a sudden I hit a patch of ice, I let go of the snowblower, and my feet went 
so fast out from underneath me that I landed on my back, flat on my back. Not, I didn't even hit the rear end. I mean, that would have hurt worse probably. But I was like, whoom, right on my back. And I'm looking up. I didn't hit my head. I had my head up, which is good. What's the first thing you think that came out of my mouth? I'll tell you exactly because I'm a transparent pastor. I said, son of a, praise the Lord. Okay? So I'm getting better. There was a time in my life that it wouldn't have ended with praise the Lord. I'm getting better. But the more we practice that discipline of praise, the more that'll be the first thing that comes out of our mouth when something like that happens. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'll, I'll be even more transparent. My, after my roommate and I came to Christ in college, we were, uh, uh, happened to be in a guy's dorm and, and there was this uh, huge open field right outside our windows. And guess what all the gals did when it got really nice outside, really hot? And sometimes in early fall or, or in late spring even, it'd get really warm. Well, they'd go lay out in their bikinis or lack thereof, in, not on their side of the dorms, but on our side underneath the guy's windows, right? Jezebels. I mean, just Jezebel, right? I mean, I'm sorry, but I've liked girls ever since I realized I wasn't one. And so we got, and, and guys were standing at the windows gawking. I mean, there was guys with binoculars. Not that they really needed them, because they're right there. But one thing that we wanted to keep accountable, we wanted to keep each other accountable, so we started saying, as we'd walk by the window in a, you know, there's the window, it's right there, you know. We'd say, praise the Lord for his creation. And we'd keep walking. And that kept us pretty in the, in the, in the realm of where we needed to keep our thoughts in our minds, right? Praise the Lord. We should praise the Lord all the time, everywhere, every place we can think of, not just in church. Pra praising is not, and a living a life of praise is not reduced to a time period, just like prayer, just like reading the word. It's not a time period in your life. It's something that just flows out of your heart all the time. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Turn to your neighbor and say, praise God. You should get so good at saying that that it almost seems weird if you don't say it. I mean, on the job site, when you hit your finger with the hammer, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You know? That's who we are, because he is so good that nothing that happens to us down here matters. He is so good that he's worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. Did you hear me, church? He is worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. So worthy. Now I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> Understand, I feel a little like the Apostle Paul this morning as I'm preaching this to you because he, when, when he wrote the words, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, I got a long ways to go too in this. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He wrote that to the Philippian church. Living a life of praise is not a flippant decision. It's something that you endeavor to do and then you work at it and you work at it and you work at it. You put effort forth to achieve it and every day it gets a little better. It takes a strong resolve. 
But as you practice this life of continually letting praises come forth, it becomes easier and becomes more of a natural thing. Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. King David, the psalmist, was saying here, Look, soul, and that's that part of you that makes up your mind, your will, and your emotions. You are going to bless the Lord, soul. You will give him the praise that is due him. And this is David's spirit man taking charge and dictating what his mind and his will and his emotions are going to do and what we're going to do. His spirit man taking charge. And some of you may have never heard that before. You might say, you mean our spiritual man can do that? Yes, it can. It absolutely can. Don't forget that your flesh dictates how your mind, will, and emotions are going to act all the time. We don't think of anything when our flesh is in charge. We don't think it's anything. But allowing your spirit man, your spiritual man, inside of you to take the driver's seat in your life, it seems difficult for some reason. Psalm 150, one through six says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the heavens of his power, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to the abundance of his greatness, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with a lute and harp, praise him with the tambourine and single or group dance. Whoa. Praise him with the stringed and wind instruments or flutes, praise him with resounding cymbals. Resounding, that's not like finger cymbals. That's like, psh, psh. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals, it says. Let everything that has breath and every breath of life praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. I mean, we are to be people of praise. And you have to understand that there are many verbs in the original Old Testament, Hebrew words, that describe different actions of praise. I wanna just get into these really quick this morning. Don't have tons of time, but I wanna get into them. First of all, yada. Everybody say yada. yada. This is to praise and give thanks to the Lord, especially by the raising or extending of our hands as to throw out your hands to him. I'm gonna ask a really, really just kind of open question. Do you get tired of me when I'm leading worship? saying, church, let's just lift our hands. Okay, I'm tired of saying it because I shouldn't have to. I mean, I know my job is to help lead you into worship, but there is not, this is not, you know, stand up, kneel down, pray, genuflect, do this, do that. This is not robotic religion that we're experiencing in this place, right? I mean, you're free. So if you feel like, Lord, praise the Lord, lift your hands up. Lift them up. Don't wait for someone to instruct you to. Now we will lift our hands in perfect unity. Amen. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Yada, raise our hands. Raise them up. You know, people say, why do you raise your hands? Well, because you have the answer, and his name is Jesus. Why do you raise your hands? Surrender. Stick, stick them up, right? Whoop. That's what we're doing to God when we raise our hands. It's an act of surrender. Why do we raise our hands? The Bible says lift holy hands. 
Why do you lift our hands? Only when Pastor Barry says can we lift our holy hands. No, raise them all the time, anywhere, all the time, except when you're driving your car, only lift one up then. <laughs> Second word, todah, say todah. It means to extend the hands in adoration as a vow or and acceptance. So you have your throwing your hands to him and you have your, it's a lot like the other one, but it's extending your hands in adoration. It's a little different, but it's still raising hands. Third word, baroch. This means to bow, to bow, to, com- to be completely overwhelmed by his majesty and bow at his feet in submission and honor to the Lord. And I've, I see that once in a while when people come forward during praise and, and our music time, they'll come forward and they'll just get up, right down front here and they'll just go like this. There's nothing wrong with that. To bow in submission. Number four, Shabak. You can say it, it's a fun word to say. Shabak. Donnie used to be in a band called Shabak. He was the tambourine player. <laughs> it's praise to the Lord given in the form of a shout. Lifting your voice unto the Lord, giving praise for what he has done and what he is going to do. Should we practice that one? Woo! You think that was it? That wasn't it. What is it? What is Shabbat? Okay, I want you to think about Jesus and all he's done for you. Close your eyes. Think about Jesus and all he's done for you. The fact that he saved you. The fact that he's delivered you. He's healed you. He's made you everything that you are. He's blessed you beyond belief. He's blessed you. He's been there for you. He's led you, even through tough times. He's always been there. Now, just as he would walk in the room and you would remember all those things, you've been remembering all those things he's been, all those good things that he is, he's done for you. Imagine him, again, walking in the back of the room and he's coming in. What would your reaction be? Maybe he's coming in on a white horse just walking in. What would this church's reaction be? I would hope it'd be Shabbat. I mean, I'd stand up. If Jesus walked in, I think I would stand, would not you? Would you? I mean, oh, Jesus, glad you're here. You're awesome, Lord. I mean, stand up and shout, church. Come on. That's what it is. Hallelujah. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's coming in. How are you going to respond? Hallelujah. Praise be to you, Jesus. I mean, it's okay to shout in church. You can sit down. It's a workout this morning. It's okay to shout in church. What, I mean, it's okay to be reverent and silent in church too. There's times for that and there's times to shout. Man, we shout at games like, I mean, some of you yell at your TVs. I mean, you yell at your TVs. And you think shouting for Jesus is weird? Tamar, playing an instrument that glorifies the Lord. What instrument? Any instrument. 
even your 10 stringed instruments. Any an instrument, just glorifying God with an instrument. Six, Hillel. This means to rave and boast of the wonders of the Lord with excitement so much that it takes on the characteristics of a dance. That you just can't contain yourself as you brag about Jesus. I mean, can you imagine if the church actually did that? Tehillah. The combination of singing, shouting, dancing, clapping, and rejoicing before the Lord. It's all of it. These are words, Hebrew words for praise. And there are Greek words that describe different aspects of praise as well. But what is really important to understand is that all these ways and different expressions is the fact that there is freedom. There's no inhibitions uh, to, to lavishly express through movement or sound our absolute highest praise and adoration for Christ. And to practice these with wisdom in reverence to private and public and even corporate praise. And I think I need to just take a little, just, just talk about this just a smidgen. Praise the Lord with no reservations if you're in the privacy of your own home. But if you're in public, use wisdom. Don't necessarily, you don't have to squelch what God is doing in you, but you have to use wisdom so you don't drive people away from the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you can't run up in the grocery store to somebody and go, ah, Jesus is awesome, and then run away. <laughs> that does no one any good, all right? You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> and some people think, well, I have freedom to do that. The Bible says I have freedom. You're free to worship. You're free to praise him. And I think you even have to use temperance when you're in church because there's people in here who don't understand. And so what's the rule of thumb? Philippians 2.3, rule of thumb for corporate worship, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. So we praise, we worship, we shout, we dance, we do all these things because we love the Lord and we practice them obviously in our own lives, in our own personal lives. We practice them in church with wisdom. We practice them in public with even more wisdom. Say, well, if it's God, then everybody will just come to Christ. Otherwise, it's, they're full of rebellion. It's not true. I think we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Again, we don't need to squelch our praise. We just need to make sure that we're, that as we're operating in our freedom of Christ, we aren't pushing people away from him in the process. I've seen some people get into such fleshly things when they praise, and it's not even praise anymore. It's, it, it is praise, but it's praise for themselves and not for God. And we've got to be careful of that. I want to talk about worship this morning. Worship. You have Worship to me just means like anything that brings worth to God. And I think for me, I use music as a big part of that because that is who I am. I've always been a musical person. I love to sing and play piano, but I know it can mean anything. It can be offering or whatever it is that would bring worth to God in your life. But for me, it's 
it's always been music and um, just using the talent that God's given me to glorify Him and to bring worth to His name and glorify who He is. when I was really young. I remember um, laying in bed at night and listening to my dad play piano in the living room, and I'd want to like get out of my bed and go listen, or I'd make him an excuse like, I need a glass of water or something dumb like that, and I would go just so I could sit and listen and be a part of being in God's presence. And I think that's where it started for me, all those nights where I'd sit with my dad and just listen and maybe sing along a little bit. And then at camp, I remember kids camp when I was like 10. I remember um, just feeling God's presence in such a real way for the first time. I think it was, I need you Jesus to come to my rescue as a song. And I remember just getting on my knees and crying and being like, why am I crying? I don't even know why I'm crying. And it was just such a real moment for me where I just, fell in love with being in God's presence and it's just my favorite place to be ever since then. Being in God's presence just changes how I feel about everything. And now even as I'm like older and I don't know, having a bad day or whatever, something's bothering me, that's where I want to go, that's where I want to be is sitting in God's presence and just falling in love with Him all over again. I think if, if you are bringing worth to God and glorifying His name. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you mess up or sound bad or whatever. It just matters that you are focusing on Him and who He is and praising Him for who He is. As Anna alluded to uh, in her testimony, the word worship comes from the old English word worth-ship. As in your honor or your lordship or your worthship. So at the heart of the meaning of the word worship is the idea of bringing worth to something. It's to adore, to pay divine honors to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration. It's to respect, to honor, to, tr to treat with civil reverence, to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission as a lover. Worship is not an exercise we merely go through at an appointed time. It's a whole life style that we must live. Like praise, worship is also a verb, but it's a way of life that permeates our entire being. If what we are doing or thinking or saying is bringing worth to God, then it can be considered worship. It's worship to come to church because you are giving up something, or at least you are putting forth an effort to get up, get ready, and come to church that shows God's worth. He's worth it. It's worship to pay tithes, or to give above and beyond your tithes by giving to missions or in any other offering. It's worship because you are showing him worth. Jesus and his cause is worthy of my finances. In fact, everything we do can bring worth to God as we do it for his glory. 
John 4, 23 through 24 says, Put, but, it, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And there's a lot of truth packed in these verses. First of all, the hour is now. Make the decision today, if you haven't already, to live a life that brings worth to God. Resisting temptation as it attacks and tempts your flesh that brings worth to God. Even that. We, when we allow our flesh to indulge in its appetites, it brings worth to us. How many have ever let their flesh indulge in its appetites? How many ever had a second piece of cake? Okay, you've been there then. When we allow our flesh to indulge in its appetites, it brings worth to us and ultimately to the enemy of our souls. When we fill our time slots with things that don't matter, with things that bring worth to ourselves while neglecting our own spirit's desire to bring God worth, then we make our choice. God will never stop loving you. You can't outrun his love, but grieving the Holy Spirit is one of the easiest things to do. I didn't say blaspheming the Holy Spirit, I said grieving the Holy Spirit. It's easy to do that. And is the second piece of cake going to keep you from, from worshiping God? No, I'm, I'm, I'm being funny with that a little bit. Sometimes it might. But all the things in life that push out our God time, our worship time, where we're just filling ourselves, filling ourselves, making sure our flesh is full of whatever it wants while our spirit's crying out and wanting so much more. But the hour is coming and is now to decide to be a true worshiper. The very fact that the word true was spoken here is to say that there are those who are professing worshipers but are not true worshipers. I think Jesus was speaking of a time that was now for them and now for us when worshiping would become more difficult because the world's enticements would be so fetching to our flesh. That it would be easy to fall into distraction from true, unadulterated worship to God. You can only be considered a true worshiper, a true worshiper, if your affections are properly placed. And again, that has a lot more to do with your real actions and less about where you say your affections lie. The verse in John 4, 24 goes on to say that the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. One way to cut to the chase in regards to the meaning of in spirit and in truth would be to say when the true worshipers will worship in born again authenticity. In spirit means that you must receive life from the spirit of God. Your spirit must be reborn, regenerated, born again, which can only come through the Holy Spirit of God if you want to be one of these true worshipers. In truth, that refers to the authenticity of your worship. Real, authentic, pure lifestyle and governing attitudes of the heart that spill outwardly into tangible actions, giving God worth. And church, I know that this can be hard to do. I understand that it can be difficult to keep focused in this. That's why we have to train for godliness. That's why we have to push ourselves and push one another. Have you ever been in God's presence and you just, you needed to go because you had to go to work or you had to, go do something else that was on the schedule and, and you were just bummed that you couldn't have 
two or three more minutes. Have you ever felt that, how that feels? God, I just want to be in your presence. Just, just a few more minutes. Please let time stand still and let me be in your presence just a little bit longer. You know, when, when I was uh, playing worship, but Anna alluded to it, and I didn't know what she was going to say in that video, but um, when she would come and listen, I, I guess I didn't really give it a lot of thought. There was a teaching going on there that I didn't know I was teaching. I was teaching her how to be in God's presence. But you know what was interesting is later, you know, when I think about worshiping, you know, some of the best times of worship I've had, going to sleep in my bed, listening to her worship God in the basement with her keyboard until the wee hours of the morning when nobody was listening. And maybe she didn't know I was listening, but I sometimes would look over to listen and just say, man, isn't it nice to go to sleep listening to your kids worship and praise God? I mean, that'd make a dad fall into the presence of God like that, you know? Not that my other kids don't bring me joy as well, they certainly do. I just can't say the one's name because she still lives here or lives with me and I'd have to pay her 20 bucks. <laughs> that deal's over when they get married. But worship is just, it's a desire of the heart. We must be worshipers that strive for our worship to flow out of our born-again spirits in a pure, authentic way. And living a life of praise and worship will change everything in your life. Praising and worshiping forces you to look at the glass half full instead of the glass half empty in your life. It will give you, a smi it'll give you smile lines instead of frown lines. I think of uh, uh, your daughter, Janet, Mitzi. Um, she's got smile lines. She's a worshiper. It just flows out of her. It's so awesome. It produces faith when we live a life of praise and worship because every time you lift his name up in praise or show him worth in what you say and do, it just undergirds belief within your soul. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I worship. It just undergirds the faith that you have. You can't praise and worship him out of your mouth while at the same time spew negativity, complaining, and godless talk. You just can't do it. Those things just don't come out when we are in that place of praise and worship, which will always bring you into the presence of God. So this morning, I, I talked about the big three at the beginning of this message. And make no mistake, prayer, the word, and praise and worship are the th big three because they absolutely make up what you should be doing during your quiet time, your devotion time, however you wanna, however, whatever you want to call it that time you spend alone with God every single day, that's what fills that time up. Prayer, the word, and praise and worship. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.